Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. And as you're being seated, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 will be the passage we start with. We'll move around some this morning, but Acts chapter 4 is our starting point as you make your way there. I love the story that was told of an older couple who was spending the night at their home, and they were sitting by the fireplace, and the husband just was struck by a romantic thought. He just was feeling real good, and he looked at his wife, and he said, sweetheart, he said, after 50 years of marriage, I found you tried and true. And his wife's hearing wasn't the best, and she said, what did you say? And he said, sweetheart, after 50 years of marriage, I found you tried and true. And she said, after 50 years of marriage, I'm tired of you too. Now, we understand and realize that successful families and marriages prioritize faith and fun and a whole lot of forgiveness. And uh, we are going to conclude our series that we have started this new year off in the series title, We Are Family. And uh, we're concluding that series this morning. Uh, We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are members of God's family by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And in our series, we have been reviewing and renewing our commitment to fulfill God's vision for our church family which is to glorify God as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ as we make disciples of all nations. We fulfill this vision as we have been sharing over these past few weeks as we give to Jesus, grow in Jesus, and as we go for Jesus. In our series, we have been studying and taking a look at the first church in Jerusalem, the believers in this first church in Jerusalem that we find recorded for us by Luke in the book of Acts because they followed and they fulfilled the same vision that God has given to us. And so we have seen that these believers years and years ago in Jerusalem were giving to Jesus, they were growing in Jesus, and they were going for Jesus, and exciting things were happening in the church. The most exciting thing that was happening in this church was clearly every day people were being added to them, those who were being saved. We know that people were accepting Jesus Christ by their faith and trust in him. They were being baptized in the name of Jesus as followers of Jesus. They were living out their faith in Jesus together as brothers and sisters in Christ. God was at work in them and around them and through them, and awesome things were happening. And we see Luke write about these things. In Acts chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 32, Luke wrote, Now the multitude of those who were believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. Then this was distributed to each person as anyone had a need. I love this summary that Luke shares with us about this church family. I love how he said, great grace was on them all. 
And what a great way to summarize what God was doing in this church by saying great grace was on them all. God is at work in our church family. We are giving and growing and going for Jesus. Each week we're giving to Jesus and we're growing in Jesus and going for Jesus. God is at work in us. God is at work through us. And God is at work around us. And exciting things are happening in our church family, not because of us, but because of God who is at work in and through us. And we see this happening week in and week out, day in and day out. <clears throat> and we can certainly say in agreement that God's grace is on all of us in Christ Jesus. And if we were to stop our study this morning of this church in Jerusalem at this point, if we were to move on this morning, let's say, and not continue with this sermon, if we were to just stop from last week's sermon and, and, and end our study of the first church in Jerusalem as we've looked at chapters 1 and 2 and 3, and we actually moved to the end of chapter 4 this morning, we might be tempted to think that, man, a Christian life is the easy life. Man, you come to Jesus and you're not going to have any more problems, any more struggles, any more sufferings. I mean, look at what's happening in this church. Man, hundreds and thousands were being saved and baptized and things were working out. Nobody had a need. Everybody was one in heart and soul. And if we thought that, we would be wrong. Because we see in Acts chapter 4, now that we've looked at the end, let's look at the beginning in verse 1. And in verse 1, Luke wrote, Now as they were speaking to the people, they being the disciples, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple guard, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in the person of Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they seized them and put them in custody, means prison, until the next day, since it was already evening. Peter and the disciples were preaching and teaching Jesus. And we read here, Luke said, that the priests and the commander of the temple guard and the Sadducees confronted them. That means came against them. That means stood against them. That means they opposed them. They opposed Peter and his fellow disciples. They were not happy with Peter and the disciples because Peter and the disciples were continuing to preach and teach Jesus Christ crucified, risen, exalted, and the only way into a relationship with God. They continually taught Jesus Christ, and in him is the resurrection from the dead. They were not happy because this once small band of misfits that they really didn't pay much attention to in the beginning had grown quickly now into a multitude of faithful followers of Jesus and witnesses for Jesus. You see, now the disciples in this growing church in Jerusalem threatened the Sadducees and their political power and their connection to Rome. Sadducees were the ruling Jewish party. 
And they were now concerned about this small band, one small band that's now a multitude of believers because they were concerned that Rome would look at this as a revolution going on in Jerusalem and would expect them to be able to take care of it. And since they couldn't take care of it, that would mean they would be out of power. They would lose their connection. They would lose their strength. And so they were threatened by the disciples in this growing church. The priests and the commander of the temple guard were angry at the disciples in this growing church because they continued to preach in Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead, the same Jesus Christ whom they hung on a cross just a short time before and accused of being a blasphemer. And so what we see clearly is that the followers of Jesus here in the church in Jerusalem as we've been seeing all the good stuff, and they were giving to Jesus, growing to Jesus, going for Jesus, all the good stuff that's happening. At the same point in time, they were facing opposition as they lived for Jesus. And the truth is, we all face opposition. As followers of Jesus, we face opposition today as we seek to live for Jesus. Now, the opposition that every Christ follower faces, every Christ follower faces the same opposition, and that opposition is simply called spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And we see Paul and Peter wrote extensively on spiritual warfare. Paul, the key leader in the expansion of this church from Jerusalem and beyond, Peter, the key leader in the church in Jerusalem, and then also beyond. Paul had this to say in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. Say that with me. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. One more time. Let's get it. Let's, let's say it like we mean it. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. We'll get back to that in just a few minutes. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So let's look at this for just a few moments. Every Christ follower faces opposition. Opposition is, is spiritual warfare. A simple definition for spiritual warfare is something that we can remember and hold on to. A real simple way to define spiritual warfare is spiritual warfare is the battle we face as we live for Jesus each day. The battle we face as we live for Jesus each day. The battle we face each day as we simply live for Jesus. Paul told us about this battle. He said, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. So let's look at what Paul said just real quickly. Real brief. We can't go into depth on all the finer points of spiritual warfare in, in, in this one time and one sitting, but, but we can look and give a, a good understanding of what's going on based on what we see here in this church and churches beyond and what's going on with us. We know and realize that when we're talking about spiritual warfare, we have an enemy, and our enemy is Satan and his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy as followers of Jesus Christ is Satan and his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy us, our walk with God, our worship of God, and our witness for God. Satan, according to Scripture, is the father of lies. He's the evil one. He's the ruler of this world. This world, biblically, in regards to spiritual warfare, is defined as the beliefs 
the messages, the philosophies, and the thoughts of those who are living in rebellion against God and in opposition to God. World, biblically, as we relate to the spiritual warfare passages, and we relate in many ways throughout Scripture, world is defined biblically as those who do not yet have a relationship with God. So they're living in opposition to God. They're living in rebellion against God. They're living in, they're dead in their sins and transgressions, separated from God, as we once were before we came to Christ. And so we understand a little bit more about this battle. Satan is the one who we are up against on a day-by-day basis. As Christ followers, then we know, based upon the truth of the word that we've already seen in this study and, and beyond, that God is at work in us. We all know this as followers of Jesus Christ. We know that God is at work in us. When God saves us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, he places his Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit in us seals us. So therefore, we know that our enemy cannot do anything in us to us because we are sealed by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God. And we know God uses his Holy Spirit in us to mold and shape and change and make us more like Jesus on a day-by-day basis so that we can do what God wants us to do, so that we can be who God wants us to be, and so that we can go where God wants us to go as his witnesses and his representatives to others he places around us. At the same point in time, we know as Christ followers that our enemy Satan is at work on us. And his work on us is designed to undo everything that God is doing in us. You see, Satan wants to lure us away from God, his word, his people, and his praise. And oh, by the way, he's great at it. And why he does that is because he wants to destroy you and me. So he's constantly at work on us. He's constantly coming against us. He's constantly bombarding us with his lies and his accusations and his doubts and his temptations because he is trying to draw us away from God. He's trying to draw us away from the word of God, the people of God, the praise of God. Why? Because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. That's exactly what Jesus told us. As Christ followers, we also know and we realize we are in the battle of spiritual warfare. Whether we like it, understand it, or want to be in it, we're in it. Listen, the moment God brought you out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the moment God redeemed you by the blood of the Lamb, the moment God saved you by his grace through your faith in Christ Jesus, the moment you confessed your sin to God and you received his gift of love and life by placing your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, you became part of God's family. You became members of God's family. You became right with God, forgiven by God. You became a child of God. You are, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And when the moment that happened, understand, we went from spiritual death to spiritual life, and we entered the battle of spiritual warfare at that point. We're in. We got an enemy, and he wants to take us out. And so we understand this opposition that we see they were facing. It helps us to begin to understand and realize the answers to the question, well, why was this going on? Why were these people coming up? Why did these things happen to us? What's, why is all these why questions that we start to wonder what's going on, what's going on. Oh, wait, wait a second. We now start to understand this is a battle of spiritual warfare going on. We begin to understand what's going on here, which then makes sense because that same stuff is going on here. 
So let's look at this opposition. Two points about the opposition, we'll move on quickly. Two points about opposition that we need to understand because we face it as we seek to live for Jesus day by day. Number one, we face opposition from within. We all face opposition from within. We face opposition from within us. First, we don't pass this point, we First, to go here. We face opposition from within us. What does that mean? It means this. Though we have been saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, we still battle with this sinful flesh. We all still have this tent of flesh that we live in. And we battle against our sinful flesh. We are all prone to wander away from God and into sin. We're all prone to give in to Satan's lies and temptations. Every one of us. We're all prone to turn away from the Lord. Peter, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, knew this point and understood it well. Why? How do we know that? Because he denied Jesus three times. Paul, the leader of the expansion of this church, that includes us today because the church grew from this point all the way to it's still growing today. Paul told the church in Rome, hey, I get this point. The things I do want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, we understand this point. Each one of us understand this point because each one of us battle against sinful, selfish, prideful urges and desires that rage, as Peter said, within us. So we understand that, first and foremost, we face opposition from within, within us. We face also, we see opposition from within the church. We see opposition from within the church. Just in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 5, we find out real quickly, we're looking at this, and man, we're thinking, man, this church has got it going on. Everything's going well. Things are happening. Nobody has any needs. Everybody loves one another. It's growing. Thousands are being saved. All kinds of great stuff is happening. There must not have been any problems in this church. Well, hang tight. We get into Acts chapter 5, and we find the first problem in the church. First problem in the church was with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And the problem was Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some property. They sold some of their stuff. <clears throat> and they took the proceeds from their sale and they pocketed some of it. They pocketed some of the proceeds from the sale and then they went to church like everybody else was doing. And they said, here's our offering. Here's the proceeds from the sale of our property. <clears throat> Okay, is that all of it? Yes, that's all of it. That's all of the proceeds from the sale of the property. That's everything we got. Ananias and Sapphira lied to God about their giving to God as if God didn't know. And Peter questioned them. Holy Spirit convicted them. And it became clear that they were lying to God. And so what happened? Well, God disciplined them immediately, and they lost their lives. God takes unity and obedience seriously, and so should we. He takes unity and obedience seriously, and we need to as well. And so what do we see here in this example that we see other examples all throughout Scripture? Here's what we see. Satan 
loves to sow seeds of dissension, division, and disunity in the church. He loves it. He loves to sow seeds of dissension, division, and disunity in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our ministries. He loves it. He's constantly, constantly trying trying to divide us from God, from his word, and from one another. Secondly, we know Satan wants us, and we've got to be careful because many of us give in to this temptation. Satan wants us to think our battle is against each other and not him. He wants us to think our battle is against each other. And so he sows those seeds of division and disunity. He lies to us because that's all he can do. He's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. So he lies to us because that's his native language. He lies to us and he tries to convince us that he's not the problem, that we're the problem. Because what he wants is for us to take our eyes off of the Lord and to take our focus off of understanding and knowing who our enemy truly is. And he wants us to put our eyes on one another and think and make the mistake of thinking, well, my battle is against my husband. My battle is against my wife. My battle is against my brother in Christ. My battle is against my sister in Christ. My battle is against my child. My battle is against my parent. When that's not the truth at all. I couldn't be further from the truth. If we tried, our battle is against our enemy and his forces of evil as he continually bombards our minds with his lies. Now, listen, what happens after that is when he tries to get us to think that our battle is against one another. Why? What does he do then? Well, he then begins to fill our minds with anger and bitterness and resentment and hurt and unforgiveness. And he hangs those feelings around the neck of people so that we don't recognize he's the one and walk in victory over him. Instead, we get focused on the individuals. And then when we get focused, you see what happens is when we believe our battle is against one another and when we understand and allow anger and bitterness and hurt and resentment and unforgiveness to find a room in our heart and a room in our lives, those emotions are not good emotions. Those emotions are very painful emotions. And what happens is those emotions set in and they get in our body and they start to spread. And at some point they begin to cause pain because they're painful emotions. And then that painful emotion comes flowing out of us. And when it comes flowing out of us, it comes flowing out of us at those around us. And it then hits the cycle of more hurt and more resentment and more anger and more unforgiveness. And the cycle spins, 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 and spins. And it's all based off lies. Because our battle isn't against one another. It's against our enemy. And so we see this battle from within. We also see and we have face opposition from without. We face opposition from without as well. What does that mean? It means these believers in the church in Jerusalem faced opposition from outside the church, from the priests and the 
commander of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they were opposing this church. They were persecuting this church because of the believer's faith in Jesus and commitment to Jesus. Listen, today, believers all around the world are facing opposition from those outside the church. We got brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world that are facing opposition from those outside the church who are opposing them and persecuting them because of their faith in Christ and their commitment to Christ. We got brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are literally giving their lives for Christ because those outside the church are opposing them for their faith in Christ and their commitment to Jesus. And the truth is, it's getting more and more unpopular today here in our country to stand firm on this word, to preach and teach this word, and to walk in obedience to this word. More and more today, even here in our country, we're facing opposition from outside the church who is opposing and persecuting us for our commitment to Christ and the truth of his word. Folks outside the church taking great efforts to tell us what we can say and do inside the church. That opposition is real. I want us to know and understand that all this opposition from within and from without is sponsored by Satan. It's, it's all sponsored by him. Now, as we see this opposition, what I want you to understand, and, and we need to get to this point because this is the, the good point, and that is simply this. We have the victory over our enemy, Satan, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We walk in victory. Why do we walk in victory? Because we have won the victory in Christ Jesus. Jesus won the victory for you and me. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He rose again on the third day. He's alive. He wants a relationship with us. And when we receive that gift of salvation, we now have victory in Christ Jesus. He defeated sin as he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. He defeated death as he rose again on the third day. He's alive and we win because he won. We overcome because he overcame. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And we understand and realize that's why Paul said, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Why? Because our strength isn't enough. My strength's not enough. I'm not going to win any battles of spiritual warfare in my strength. Tried that, done that, it didn't work. I lose. But we have the victory in Christ Jesus. And so because he's won, we can win. And that's what we see in our brothers and sisters in Christ and their testimony in the first church in Jerusalem, there was great God stuff happening. At the same point in time, there was opposition going on, but they were walking in the victory in the midst of the opposition because of their victory in Jesus. And they knew it and understood it. So the question then for us this morning is how can we walk in victory? If this victory is ours in Christ Jesus, we believe it, but how can we walk in it? Because at times it may seem like to us, I don't feel like I'm walking in victory. I feel like I'm getting whipped. This isn't working out. Where's all this victory stuff? Well, we can get that answer right here in this word. And from none other than Peter. Peter understood opposition. He understood opposition within. He understood opposition from without. He understood opposition within his own self because he denied Christ three times. He understood what it was to have opposition in the church because he was the one dealing with the church and leading the church. He's not only preached about this. He not only wrote about this. He not only taught about this. He lived these truths that we're getting ready to look at. And Peter lined it out for us in 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn to your right. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and we'll look here at 
Peter's prescription, some points that he gives us that we can take that will allow us to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus when it comes to this battle of spiritual warfare. These are basics. These are foundational truths that will work. They have been tried. They have been tested. And trust me, they are true. And they will work with you and they will work with me because they've worked with our brothers and sisters in the past and they'll continue working with our brothers and sisters in the future. These are great words of truth. Peter was sharing these words to five provinces that had these churches in uh, this area that we know of today as Turkey. Uh, we know today it was Pontus and Galatea and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. These were the five provinces that we read about in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter was writing to all the churches and the believers in these, chur in these churches and these provinces. These provinces make up what is today we know as the country of Turkey. And so he's sharing these words of truth with them. Now, in chapter 5, we're going to find in 1 Peter chapter 5, that Peter begins and he speaks to the elders or the pastors who were the leaders of the church. And he says to them, guys, shepherd the flock that God has given to you. Shepherd the flock passionately, lovingly, faithfully, continually. Shepherd the flock sacrificially. He focuses in on shepherding. Then he says, after he talks to the elders, the pastors, he talks to the young men in the church. And he says, guys, here's the deal. You need to humbly follow the elders and the pastors that are in the church over you because at some point in time, you're going to be the pastors and the elders. And so you need to humble yourself. You need to listen to them. You need to learn from them. You need to follow them because as soon as uh, they move on, you're next. And so you need to listen. Then he goes and he addresses the church, the church, all the believers. And he says, hey guys, speaking to us even today, hey guys, here's some steps to follow if you want to walk in victory. If you want to win the battle of spiritual warfare, if you want to walk in victory and not defeat day by day, here's a few things to keep in mind. There's a few steps to follow. And we begin in 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 6, he says this. The first step is be humble. Be humble. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, you may exalt, so that he may exalt you in due time. He says right off the bat, humble yourself. So here's the first step we're going to walk in victory. we got to humble ourselves. Why does he say humble ourselves right at the very beginning? Because we understand and realize the victory is not in us. It's in Christ. And if we stop for a moment and think that the victory is in us, if we think for a moment we can walk in this victory in our strength, we are going to be defeated. So he says be humble. Now, quickly, a quick understanding of be humble. Be humble is an aorist imperative. That means... It is a command to do this now with urgency. Be humble means bring yourself low. It literally means to make yourself low to the ground. He's saying every day, if you want to walk in victory, here's the first thing. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You bring yourself low. You bow before God at the beginning of the day, throughout the day, at the end of the day. You make sure you're bowing yourself before God because your victory is in Christ Jesus. And the scriptures tell us as we bow ourselves before the Lord God Almighty, he raises us up to live his way in his power for his glory. He lifts us up. He strengthens us. He allows us and helps us to know where to go and what to do and what to say and what not to say. He's the one who strengthens us as we humble ourselves before him. The scriptures are real clear. Scripture Solomon said, humble yourself before the Lord. He said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives help. He gives mercy. He gives strength to the humble. Solomon told us pride comes before uh, fall. And so we understand and realize 
that we must humble ourselves. Peter knew this because Peter was well aware of this because we think back in the gospel when Peter and Jesus were talking and Jesus is just getting ready to go to the cross to pay the price for all of our sins, the sin of mankind. Peter was talking with Jesus and Jesus was explaining what was getting ready to happen and Peter said, hey, Jesus, I, I will not turn away from you. Jesus just want to let you know, I won't, even if everybody else does. Even if all these other 11 slackers do, I'm not. Not me. And what do we see? Man, immediately, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. I've not been with him. Well, moments later, when Peter found out how things work in his strength, as opposed to the Lord's strength. So Peter here is saying, hey, guys, I'm speaking from experience. Peter's saying, trust me. Can you imagine the challenge it was for him to live for Jesus and lead the church of Jesus knowing that he had denied the Savior? Yes, he was forgiven. Yes. Can you imagine how often Satan blasted his mind with that? Peter said, let me save you some heartache. Humble yourself. Be humble. It's not going to work. If you're not humble, Then he says, secondly, be prayerful. Look what he says. He follows it. Casting all your care upon him because he cares about you. Okay, so victory happens as I'm humble. Man, the more I humble myself before God, the more I want to talk to God. Because I'm bringing myself low before him and I know he's with me. And the more I pray to God, the more I want to humble myself to God. And so this prayer and this humility works hand in hand. And we know how important it is for us to pray. And he says this, casting all your cares on him. It's a great word. It's a great word picture. Casting. It literally means throw upon, throw all your cares, throw all your concerns, throw all your worries, throw all your stresses, throw everything that's wearing you down, throw everything that's wearing you out, throw all of those cares and concerns and worries on God. Cast them on God. And don't take them back. If you're a fisherman and you love to go fish, you know that fishermen cast. For the most part, they, they have to cast them. Well, now sometimes they just cast and drop it, depending on what type of fishing you're doing. You may drop it right there. You may cast it out. You may try to make a record zing that bait out. But what does every fisherman do when they cast? Well, at some point, after a period of time, they, they reel it back in with the hopes that there's going to be something really nice on the end of that line. It's what we do oftentimes with our prayer life. We cast our cares and concerns on God. We cast them, but we don't leave them. We reel them back in. And we start to carry them around, and we start to worry about them. We start to focus on them. And the more we worry about them and focus on them, the more we stress about them, the more it pulls us more and more away from the Lord. And humbling ourselves before Him and relying on Him 
and the more it consumes us and wears us out. We know that Peter had already told us that the believers that appear in the first church in Jerusalem, he said that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. So this is not only something that Peter taught about, he actually participated in prayer. He, pray, he prayed. His brother was praying, the church was praying, and if we're going to walk in victory, we got to pray. Because as we cast all of that on the Lord, you know what he does? He says that he replaces all of that with his peace. Passes all our understanding, guards our hearts and minds of Christ Jesus, which allows us then to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ. So we pray because God wants us to pray. We pray because we need to pray, and we pray because prayer works. It works. And so we humble ourselves. We're, we're going to be humble. That's urgent. That's right now. Do this now. Do this now. He's saying, don't wait. Humble yourself. Be prayerful. As you humble yourself, be prayerful. Present those requests to the Lord. He's going to raise you up. He's going to empower you to live in victory. He said the third is we're to be alert. He said in verse 8, be sober, be on the alert for your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So here's the third step. Be alert. He said be sober. Be sober is another aorist imperative. That means do this, do this now. There's urgency. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't think you can make it to the night. Don't think you can make it to tomorrow. Make sure that you not only humble yourself, not only that you're prayerful, but be alert. Be sober today, right here, right now. Sober literally means free from pollutants. It means keep your mind free from pollutants, such as temptation, such as uh, worries and cares and concerns, such as stresses, such as lust, such as all kinds of other sins. Free your mind from the pollutants. Be sober-minded. That means be clear-headed, be calm, cool, and collected. And then he says, be on the alert. Another aorist imperative with urgency. So be sober, be on the alert. Be on the alert means be ready and watchful spiritually for action. Be ready and be watchful spiritually for action. So he's saying to us, be sober-minded, be clear-headed, be calm and cool and collected. Make sure your mind's not being polluted by the things of this world. Make sure you're not filling your mind with the things from this world that will pull you away from the Lord, that will pull you away from the truth of this word. Make sure that what you're putting before your eyes, make sure that what you're allowing to go into your ears is not pollution from the world, but instead it's the truth and the praises of our Father Jesus Christ. Because when that's going into our minds, we're a lot better at walking in the victory of ours in Christ Jesus. He says, be ready, be watchful, be on the alert. Why is he saying this? Why is this so important? Why are we to be sober-minded? Why are we to be on the alert? Well, he tells us because we have an enemy who is prowling around us like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. What does that mean? It means this. Our enemy, Satan, is watching us and he's waiting on us. He observes, he watches, he waits to see in those moments when we are spiritually asleep. When we're not alert. When we're not clear-headed. When we're not calm, cool, and collected. When we're not prayerful. When we're not humble. And when he finds those times in our lives and he sees us going according to what we can do rather than what God can do, he then strikes at that moment. And he bombards our minds with lies. And because we're not humble and prayerful, and because we're not alert, what ends up happening oftentimes is we give in to sin. 
And then that sin takes us farther than we want to go. That sin costs us more than we want to pay. And that sin keeps us longer than we want to stay. That sin damages our walk with God, our worship of God, our witness for God. That sin takes us and enslaves us and oppresses us, and we don't even realize it. Why? Because we've been duped. We've been duped. Why? Because we weren't spiritually alert. We gave in. When the enemy came at that moment and said things such as, go ahead. No one else is watching. It's not a big deal. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt anybody else. Hey, listen, you deserve to be happy. You know, God's a good God, and he wants you to be happy. You deserve to be happy. Because you've not been happy. Because you've been doing this God thing. Take a break. It'll make you happy. You don't need that God stuff. You don't need that church stuff. Happiness is what's most important for you. And because we're not humble and prayerful and alert, we walk right into it. Bite it hook, line, and sinker. And we actually start justifying our sin. That's how crazy it gets. We start to justify our sin and excuse our sin as if nobody else understands what's going on in our lives. Destruction. Walk with God. Worship of God is over. Witness for God, turned off. Why? Weren't alert. Peter's saying, you want to walk in victory? You want to walk in that victory is yours in Christ Jesus? You want to minister to the congregation that God's placed around you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, your home, and your family? You want to know what it is to walk in the power of Christ Jesus? Then you need to be humble. You need to be prayerful. You need to be alert. Watch. And what's amazing is the more humble we are and prayerful we are, the more alert we are. It's just amazing how that works. And the more we're able to see and watch what's going on. And when those lies come in designed to pull us away, husbands, from our wives, we don't buy it. We smash it with the truth of God's word and we go forward and we keep serving our wives. When those lies come in to the wives about their husbands, you don't buy it. Smash it. Truth of God's word and you move forward. Serving your husband, serving the Lord. We keep moving forward. Why? Because we're alert. We're ready. We're we're there. Well, what about those times when, when there's hurt in our lives? Pastor, what about those times? Absolutely, there are those times where we have legitimate hurt in our lives. Legitimate hurt in our lives that at times has come from someone else. So what do we do then? Hey, understand and realize the Word of God says it's okay to not be okay as long as when we're not okay, we go to the one who makes us okay, that being our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And when we are hurt and when we're dealing with that, we still humble ourselves, we're still prayerful, and we're still alert so that we don't get any further than what we are and so that we're able to hear and see God as he leads us to victory, as he leads us to healing because he wants to deal with that hurt in his way and he will deal with that hurt in his way as we humble ourselves before him. It's awesome how it works. Peter did it. Paul did it. Yeah, think of Paul. He was killing Christians, holding coats, clapping before God got a hold of him. And that leads us to the fourth step, and that's simply be faithful. Be faithful. He said in verse 9, resist him, firm in the faith. Resist him, firm in the faith. Resist Satan, firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your brothers in the world. Here's what he says. He says, be faithful and resist him is another one of those areas imperatives. It means resist and resist now. Don't wait. Resist right now at this very moment. Resist him. That means stand against the tactics and temptations of the enemy. That means you got to be humble and you got to be prayerful and you need to be alert so that you can be faithful. Because when we're alert, we're faithful. We're able to resist him firm in the faith. That means firm in the faith in Christ Jesus in accordance with the truth of this word. That means the more we know this word, the more we understand this word, the more we study this word, the more we obey this word, the more faithful we will be. The more alert we will be, the more prayerful we will be, the more humble we will be, and the more we will walk in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. You see, when we get in this word, and we know this word, this word is the offensive weapon that our God has given to us in the battle of spiritual warfare. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the word of God, and our enemy has no defense against it. And so as we are faithful to resist his tactics, to resist his temptations. According to the truth of this word, as Jesus Christ demonstrated for us, when Satan tempted him, what did Jesus do? He didn't dialogue. He didn't debate. He didn't discuss. He just simply quoted scripture, and Satan left. He was out because he has no defense because he's a liar. And we are able to stay faithful as we get in this word. And as we get in this word and we're faithful, big God gives us victory each day. He heals our hurts. He restores our ministries. He restores our relationships. He restores our opportunity to pour into others. Man, he just does amazing things. This victory is awesome in Christ Jesus. And he gives us a word of encouragement as he closes, as he says, hey, remember, it's not just you doing this. Your brothers and sisters in Christ around the world Guess what? They're in the same battle you're in. It's that spiritual warfare. They're dealing with the same sufferings and struggles as you are. Hang tight. You encourage them, they'll encourage you. Because you're faithful. Faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Luke wrote in Acts 4. We're back in Acts 4 real quickly, and we'll end with this. It's amazing. We're back in the, in the scene. The disciples have been arrested. Sadducees, commander of the temple guard, priests, they've thrown them in the slammer. they got to wait through the night because Jewish law said there could be no trials at night. So they had to wait to come out the next day to be questioned, go to trial. They're in the jail. Peter's in jail. But look what Luke writes in verse 4. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. 
in the midst of the opposition, here's what was happening. The people of God were sharing. The word of God was spreading. And the power of God was showing. As people were still getting saved day by day in the midst of the opposition. Why? Because these believers were walking in their victory in Jesus. And what could be heard from these believers? The praises of God were singing from these believers as they walked in their victory in Jesus. Hey, listen, make no mistake about it. Our victory is in Jesus Christ. Our victory is in Jesus. And we know him and we love him and we live for him. And so I want to encourage you to renew your commitment to walk in that victory in Jesus, to be humble and prayerful and alert and faithful. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then why not today, why not now, why not receive the greatest gift that's ever been extended, the gift of love and life and faith, by faith in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in this time of response.